the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hope you had a great weekend. Uh, Good to be with you. In a moment, we'll catch up with Todd Benzman, our old friend down at the border, and also Michael Volpe, the investigative journalist who's done such a good job of shining a light on many of the abuses that happen in our family courts in and around them. He's got quite a compelling story to discuss today. But first, what you need to know, what you need to know today, uh, I have to tell you, you know, the uh, Tucker Carlson rule, which is often invoked now, I hope it's invoked more and more. It is this, whatever the Democrats are actually doing, they accuse the uh, uh, others of doing. They accuse the American people or Trump or Republicans. In this case, there is now a growing effort to talk about the so-called scandals of first families and uh, try to make it seem like everybody else had a scandal uh, that's somehow on par with the Biden uh, family crime syndicate. And the thing is, what they're doing now is they've got a story. Politico's got a story. Uh, Billy Bush. Uh, Bill, is that his name? Billy Bush? Uh, no, Bill, sorry, Billy Bush. Billy Carter. Billy Carter. Uh, he, the, the worst Billy Carter did was like a, a bad beer deal. Right. And then Ivanka Trump, Ivanka Trump didn't do anything uh, uh, that was a- anything other than transparent. She might have had a business deal. I think that one of the things they're pointing to is some uh, trademarks she got out of China when she when you when you trademark something in America. If you're a big international business uh, person, you also trademark it in China to protect yourself. But be that as it may, nothing compares to Biden. At this point, we have Joe Biden's family all set up as a sort of lobbying uh, payout arms of Joe Biden. It's not even close. But my point here, what you need to know is you're going to see more and more efforts to make it seem like everybody does it and that these instances of corruption are, well, they're everywhere. Now, I want to tell you something. This works because... When you lump in everybody together, the American people are are so used to seeing the swamp be corrupt that they they will believe it. It doesn't matter that Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, nobody's alleged that they did anything uh, improper even, let alone, uh, excuse me, I shouldn't say that. People will allege it. But there's been no real uh, 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 uncovering of anything done improperly by those uh, people, Ivanka Trump, uh, Jared Kushner. They're going to do that, and it's going to work. And the reason why it works is because the swamp is so powerful now, so wealthy, and you look up and you see term limits have never taken hold. So these people like Pelosi, she starts in office as speaker, and she's worth, I don't know, is it $30 million, $80 million? And now she's worth $200 million, something like that, something dramatic. You see these members of Congress, both parties, by the way, not just one party, who go into office, and then suddenly, by the time they're leaving office, they're wealthy. Their families are wealthy, but nothing compares to this, uh, to the Biden family. It is not, we've not seen anything like this. 
But I'm telling you, this is a strategy and it will work. And what you need to know is it doesn't matter what other people are doing. The question is whether the president of the United States is compromised by what his kid, his child and his brother and his sister have done. I think that's the reality. Now, will it matter? I don't think it will, actually. I don't think it actually will matter in the long run in the sense that I don't think that they'll hold him accountable. And so I think 40% of the country that are Democrats will say, oh, we don't care. We love Joe Biden. And 40% that are Republican will say, we can't stand that this happened. But nobody be held accountable. And the reason why they won't be really held accountable is because they're all doing it. Now, I don't mean that they're all doing it as blatantly as the Bidens. But I am saying that the people with power are all playing this inside game where they, they enjoy the power. They think they're doing good things with the power. And they are going to take care of their family and friends and others. And so I, I don't think you're going to see anything uh, uh, come of this. I really don't. And I also think that the next election in 2024 will be a drain the swamp election where the topic, the focus will be, we want all of you bums out. And people like um, Joe Manchin, he's already looking like he's not going to run. That are on the in places that are sort of um, crossovers. West Virginia is more Republican. They're going to be running office. Incumbents will be in trouble. Incumbents in trouble. All right, I got to run. I got to run. We got to get to Todd Benzman. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. A time to catch up with our friend Todd Benzman. Todd Benzman, of course, is the National Security, Senior National Security Fellow over at the Center for Immigration Studies. Uh, he is uh, regularly writing and has been uh, for a few weeks now, especially been uh, maybe I, I could probably say more months now. It feels like weeks. I've uh, been dominated uh, the scene with his new book, Overrun, which I'll put up on social media. But he's got a piece uh, that has um debuted over on the New York Post's website. Families are flooding the uh, U.S. border following Title 42's end because Biden's rules don't apply to them. So, Todd Benzman, welcome back. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me again. Uh, it's great it. to have you again. Yeah, no, and ToddBenzman.com, by the way, is the website. I think it's the best place to buy his book, although his book is available everywhere uh, they sell books. Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History, ToddBenzman.com. Okay, this piece in the uh, in the um, New York Post, what am I missing in terms of What's new here? So I think the reporting, as I read this, is that families are coming, flooding the border. But were they coming anyway? And are they coming in a particular way? Because, as you say, Biden's rules don't apply. What's the what's the what's the lead here? Right. Well, just to back up a little bit. uh, Yeah. So, yes, uh, a short answer is yes. Since Biden entered office, he opened up massive exemptions in the Title 42, which is the instant pushback. You put everybody gets pushed back when Trump was in office. You cross that border, you're pushed back to Mexico right away. Families, kids, whoever comes across for the pandemic. As soon as Biden entered office, he made an exemption, an exception for families. So, of course, millions came in right. as soon as they found out about it. And so, a central element of this mass migration crisis that I write about in the book is our family unit. So 
and to an extent that is not a surprise that families are pouring in under Biden administration. But what is in, what is new is that he and his entire administration have been swearing up and down that they were going to, after 42, use this really harsh, tough Trumpian new policy that's going to stop all this mass illegal immigration. Uh, and it was going to be Title Eight expedited removal. Everybody who tries to apply for asylum is automatically deemed ineligible. Everybody's going to get pushed back. Uh, and uh, that's just not the case. I was just down at the border, and I found that none of the family units are uh, are, are being subjected to Title Eight expedited removal. None of them are even being asked to apply for asylum or even applying for asylum. If they cross with a kid, they're getting right in. And this is extremely counter to the narrative, uh, to the victory laps that the administration is taking, uh, saying, hey, we're going to manage this in a safe, orderly, and humane way. Uh, we're going to have everybody wait in Mexico and then cross over the ports of entry with these permits that we're giving out on this app. Uh, but the families are saying we're not waiting for any permit because we get in without it. <laughs> so I see. Uh, right. So 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 that's what I found. And of course, nobody is reporting any of this. They're just pouring in over the border. I interviewed five or six different families uh, that had already been across. I examined all their papers took photos of all their papers. Uh, they are just being let in like they always were. Uh, so we're talking with Todd Benzman again. If you go to toddbenzman.com, they you'll see all of his different writings, his congressional testimony, his books, uh, including his most recent book, Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. So, um, Todd, again, you've been covering this for years, and now you've certainly been covering in the last couple months the escalation as Title 42 expired. And and uh, but it's, so is is this part, the family part? Is it worse than you thought, than you expected? Is it getting worse? Or in sp- part of me thinks it's this is what it's been. It's going to keep being this. I mean, they're not changing any behavior uh, on the Biden side. So w- what's what's your re- reaction to this? Is it is it is it an escalating crisis or is it just now an ongoing situation? There was right after the end of Title 42. Uh, and this is typical of immigrant immigrant behavior. Right. A big, big change in policy. Uh, not sure what to expect. So there was a pause. Uh, the numbers went way, way down. The numbers of people that were crossing like overnight went way, way down, plummeted. The administration took a big victory lap and said, look what we've done. <laughs> but if you know immigrant immigrant behavior, uh, you would also if you read the book, you would also know that immigrants wait and study and analyze the policy and figure out where they can benefit from it, how they can get in. It's always just about how do we get in? So the families were supposed to be incentivized to stay in Mexico and come over the ports of entry in an orderly way on these permits. It's the central cornerstone. It's the foundational, uh, you know, cornerstone of the new Biden administration policy post title 42 this whole thing and it's just not happening they're abandoning the permit system and crossing over anyway in increasing numbers i believe that what i saw in the del rio sector uh last week 
is the uh, is is a, a spinning up of a another massive surge that's going to involve families. Uh, the number of people that are crossing now are, are in the hundreds. They're in the family family groups. They send back their selfies. They send back information about how they just got in, and then others come in. So I was on both sides of the border, and I saw this happen. It's a phenomenon uh, that always precedes a snowballing avalanche effect hmm. uh, in my in my experiences. So I think the family units will then be returning just like they were before Title 42. Uh, and I, I think I may uh, be right. I hope I'm wrong. I always hope I'm wrong. But I think in this case, I'm going to be right. The families are coming again. This matters because family units make up the bulk of this mass migration crisis. Well over 50%, maybe 65% of everybody that the administration let into the country uh, since Inauguration Day were in family groups, family units. Those were the ones. Uh, So it looks like that will be a continuation despite the victory laps, the fist pumps in the air about how great they were, uh, that their policies were working because they've got it figured out now. Uh, we're talking again with uh, Todd Benzman. Uh, Todd, I noticed in in the, reading your column or this this uh, uh, piece that's in the New York Post, so it's on the New York Post website, nypost.com, and again, I'll put up the link to it. Uh, but I noticed on the on the sidebar, you know, you're down and there's stories more on migrants, and there's a and I went and read this uh, uh, story. David Patterson, the former governor of New York, ripping uh, Biden. Uh, that's the term they use for having no plan. Uh, to address the migrant crisis. Uh, New York, of course, Mayor Adams has got these migrant centers. He's been complaining about things. But but Patterson, I guess Patterson, he's an African-American governor, but then he was pushed aside by the establishment, I guess. So he's probably, you know, doesn't have any need to be nice to anybody. But are, are more Democrats actually seeing the problem? Not only the problem in terms of what's happening to families and individuals, but the po- the political problem? I really believe they are uh, because this is happening. There are strains and tensions that are happening now at the micro level, at the micro level of um, our political system. Meaning what I mean by that is the municipal politics, city Hmm. politics. And you're seeing in city after city after city, these fights break out resentment among traditionally democratic constituents, you know, black communities, uh, Latino communities, schools, parents, teachers uh, who are furious over plans to divert precious funding from, you know, causes to immigrants to take care of these immigrants. People are really angry over that, especially black constituents veterans groups uh you can see these fights breaking out in i posted uh something i saw on tiktok i just screen recorded it and posted it a couple days ago uh from a city council meeting an assembly meeting in chicago where the assembly was just being exoriated by black constituents over a a one-month 51 million dollar uh infusion of cash to help migrants be housed and be taken care of and and that sort of thing. And they're they're like, what are you doing? We have been begging you for, and this is just one month. You're going to do it every month. 
we've been begging you for investment in our communities for years and years, and you've blown us off. And now look, you're giving just tens of millions of dollars. What's going on? I think there's going to be a price to pay. I think Democrats are going to lose key constituencies over this at the local level. And when the national election comes along, maybe they're going to vote Republican this time. I mean, they're really mad. The um that that one more question on the policy side of this, then, um, you know, Trump's positions were relatively um, were relatively uh, new outside of the mainstream of the Republican Party. But it doesn't look like you can run as a Republican at any national level and not have the sort of hard hard line again on this. Right. I mean, I, I don't think that there's much room between uh, any of these candidates running for president, at least that, that in terms of the immigration question. But what about somebody like RFK Jr. that says he's running? I mean, are, are any of these other uh, national Democrats uh, like Patterson, I suppose, putting any pressure on uh, the Biden administration? Not that I've seen very publicly okay. uh, on the de- on the Democratic side. I think it's still orthodoxy to have open borders to uh, say we are a nation of immigrants and, and point to the Statue of Liberty poem and that kind of thing. Uh, and to say, you know, we've got plenty of room here. Uh, you know, we're we're Americans and that sort of thing. I don't think that they see it yet. Uh, and if they don't, I think it's going to be to their detriment politically, uh, you know, in terms of keeping power, because, like I said, I mean, these controversies are being covered in like little local newspapers. The national media is not really covering it, but I'm telling you, these local papers and local TV stations are right there in the city council chambers. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there was a story in New York not that long ago that did make a little bit of national news where they kicked out a bunch of veterans from a homeless shelter that was for veterans to make room for illegal immigrants. And I mean, that's the kind of thing that you just can't, you can't make that up. That's just a, yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's a hand grenade, you know. Yeah, yeah it certainly. It's well, but the, the interesting thing is, as you said, one of the comments you made earlier. Again, we're talking Todd Benzman is uh, nobody's covering it. I mean, you know, the fact is that I mean, you're, you're covering it, and there's there, you know, for all the proliferation of uh, of um, non mainstream media, new media, uh, you know, Breitbart's got some coverage. I mean, there's different things, but in terms of the day to day coverage that gets a lot of eyeballs, um, you know, Fox has covered some of it, but it's sort of gone off to the it's not a nice story right it's got a lot of unpleasantness i mean it's you know families and and kids and trafficking and everything else it's not uh it doesn't feel good um and in some ways i, I wonder if that's part of it all right todd we got to run todd benzman is our guest uh, thank you todd Toddbensman.com. i should say he's the author again of the book overrun how joe biden unleashed the greatest border crisis in u.s history and he's uh, got a piece up of the new york post i'll put it on social media thanks again todd Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Yep. Uh, we'll have you again very soon. Todd Benzman, everybody. And uh, CIS.org is the website for the Center for Immigration Studies. Todd and his colleagues do a great job over there. Also, you want to go there and check that out. He's blogged somewhat over there, although his uh, pieces have been posting over at New York Post and other places frequently as this book has rolled out. But his colleagues at the Center for Immigration Studies, very valuable on all these issues. And uh, check it out. All right. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Don't forget, go to ProAmericaReport.com. Sign up for the daily email there. It often includes a link to uh, Todd's stories uh, when they post and also to his website, toddbensman.com, where his book is available. Be right back.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report, catching up with uh, my old friend, Michael Volpe, and he does a substack that is really worth reading, an investigative journalist by training. Uh, his uh, interests and uh, and subject matter are wide-ranging. However, he also has honed in on uh, the uh, problems surrounding, and the, and the, and not just like, I make it sound like, oh, there's a couple problems surrounding the family court system, but really the... Um, the uh, kind of systemic problems that have been not just uh, difficult for people and unfair, but horrendous and, and really painful. And the stories are really tough. Uh, if you go to michaelvolpe.substack.com, you can read more of it. And so, Michael, I got your email last week, actually, you know, and I'll say this to you. I know you'll smile, but you're a guy that does this uh, as a writer for a living. So you take what you can get. I don't always read what you send me. And this time, for some reason, I, I don't know, the subject line or something, I caught my eye. It was, I think it was RIP Catherine Kazanoff, but I'm not sure. But I read it and I I actually went through and I read a long, long piece on this woman who I had not known about, who had this role um, that thrust upon her as a sort of activist for uh, uh, moms and for, uh, I guess, parents that are uh, really mistreated by the family court. And she passed away. And all of this was kind of fraught with emotion but i was reading it i couldn't stop reading it and it was intertwined as you do so well with uh, other people's uh descriptions of situations and all so first of all uh, uh, tell us the story of this woman now the late Catherine kasanoff her before we get to what happened in the last month or so what was what's her background walk us through who she is what she became in terms of uh, articulating what's going on it's a fascinating story yeah, so she actually is a lawyer. Uh, she was a federal prosecutor, and then she worked in the governor in New York, the governor's office, both with Cuomo and Hochul. Uh, and then she was married to a lawyer. Uh, wow. The guy she was married to, Alan Kasanoff, is a litigator, does patent law. That's important because he actually practices in the same courthouse that they wound up getting divorced in. Uh, she was a lawyer, so she obviously made, you know, not all lawyers make good money, but she made probably good money. But it was dwarfed by the amount of money he made, which is also very important to their divorce. Uh, and uh, th- there's a bunch of videos out there. And she she did see, I don't, I don't like this part. She seemed to love to videotape him, but the videos certainly show him being at least emotionally abusive, there, there was some documentation of physical abuse, but he manipulated that court system a million different ways. And it, uh, number one, there is a pattern, specifically litigators, people who practice in that courtroom. It's Westchester County in New York. And uh, the first thing he did was he went in and got a an ex parte order to remove her from the house. An ex parte means the other side isn't there that's generally reserved for very unique and and urgent situations. He seemed to get it probably because he had connections. So she is ordered out of her house. He gets, uh, an, again, another ex parte order to get temporary sole custody of their kids. That happens during COVID in 2020. And then he, and then she gets an apartment and he goes and gets a second ex parte order, ordering her to be at least a mile away from him and his children. So she's then evicted from her apartment. Uh, he is then able to 
get a guy named Mark Abrams appointed to her case to do an evaluation. And he evaluates her, and this is, I'm quoting directly, unspecified mental disorder. So he won't say what mental disorder she has, but he definitely said she has one. She's eventually able to remove this guy from the case. And Megan Fox, my friend from PJ Media, did something on him. I think we've got a minute. Let me read from a 2021 article about him. Kasanoff mm-hmm. says it began with a court-appointed psychologist, Mark Abrams, who began accusing her of, quote, parental alienation and brainwashing. Abrams has been accused of sexual misconduct by patients and has been recently removed from the court's mental health professionals panel as a result of the complaints against him. One former patient speaking on condition of anonymity told PJ Media that Abrams asked him repeatedly to give him details of his sex life during a custody evaluation, peppering him with inappropriate inquiries for graphic details. Another patient reported that Abrams asked her to lie on top of him during her custody evaluation. A third patient described Abrams showing her risque photos of herself uh, that her ex-husband had given him and said Abrams asked her to describe the sexual acts she performed to her new boyfriend. So this is the guy who I uh, who gave her the unspecified quote unquote mental disorder recommendation. Yeah, evaluation. But but Michael, what what's odd about well, not odd? What's funny about this? To be clear, on your credentials, you you don't you don't come down on. on sometimes it's the wife. Sometimes it's the husband. Right. Sometimes right. it's the mother. Sometimes it's the father that's right. wronged. You, you, the point here, which I, I I think is really to your credit, is the system is is corrupted. Right. In other words, your right. your point is uh, the cronyism in this system. In this case, the Westchester courts is what ends up. Uh, you know, uh, working against the interests of the family. Correct. And in this case, Alan Katzenoff is not only a litigator in that court, but made about a million dollars a year. He has the money to spend. He paid for Abrams. He has the connections to the judges. That's correct. This guy, Abrams, does an evaluation recommending sole custody to him, which the judge follows. The judge's name is Louis Lubel. He uh, presided over uh, Abrams' wedding. He shouldn't have appointed Abrams to begin with. Uh, and then after he gets so, and this is all temporary, he then gets a second order to get her out of even her apartment. And so her life was completely wrecked. He tried to um, get her arrested multiple times, Alan, that is. And finally, in May of, of this past, of 2023, she was diagnosed a third time with breast cancer, and she said in her, I guess you'd call it a suicide note, that it was terminal, and so she decided to do an assisted suicide in Switzerland. And that's what uh, blew the story up. Uh, and uh, there's definitely a ring there in Westchester uh, uh, that uses the same kind of things that this guy Kasanoff is using. So uh, we're talking again, Michael Volpe, and uh, I go to his uh, Substack. It's Michael Volpe, V-O-L-P-E dot Substack dot com. Um, and you can see this posting. To be clear, then, also, one of the things as I came all the way through this, this poor woman who faced all these uh, burdens of her, her uh, of the courts and all, 
also was multiple times very, very sick with cancer, right? So so right. I, when I first read this, I thought, holy cow, this is really going to be compelling. She took her life because of everything that happened. But but uh, more because th- that, that would be sort of one of these mixed things for me to understand to how that could get there, although I don't judge mm-hmm. anybody. But in this case, she also on top of everything was sick. So but but all but didn't she become or did she not something of a voice on these issues? I mean, yeah. it's one thing to have Michael Volpe, the investigative reporter or ed martin were talking about hey the system's broken she's she was in the system but then also became a uh a, a sort of a, a um recognizable i don't know leader on this she she was she she was interviewed several times about it uh there's a reporter locally in the area blas gomez and i hope i don't mispronounce her name b-l-a-i-s-e and she interviewed her once in 2021 she has been interviewed on it uh, there, there's a guy named Rory Doyle who's out of Connecticut, uh, who has his own case. Who's a uh, they've become close. She she became close with a lot of other victims, specifically in Westchester, because this guy Abrams uh, is notorious there. Uh, her ex hired a guy named Gus Demopoulos. He's notorious as attorney there. So she, uh, once you become victimized, especially with social media, it's easy to find other victims because they all have the same players you know looking for each other so she hmm. did become an activist hmm. absolutely uh her suicide note it's it's remarkable i'm looking seven point seven thousand seven hundred shares thirty five hundred comments ten thousand likes yeah. um you know if you know anything about facebook that's hundreds of thousands of people who right. have read it then and yeah, that's yeah. well and it's and it's very it's very poignant um and and heartbreaking to read. Um, wh- uh, what's the status of the children? Because it's they're, been going on for they're, years. They're, they're, this is one other thing. They never actually got to a final order. It was all these these temporary orders. And I talked to a couple of other people. They said that's the mo that you do these temporary orders and you drag the case out because there's one party who has a ton of money and another party who doesn't have nearly as much. So the longer it drags out. The more that favors, in this case, Alan Kassanoff, but in general in Westchester, the wealthier party. But he has temporary sole custody. He's their biological father. Unless the CPS or somebody else steps in, he's going to keep custody of them. Now, um, there is, I I want to say good news. There are consequences. His employer, the name of the firm is Greenberg Traurig. After about three days of just constant attention, they finally put up a Facebook post. Alan Kasanoff has been involved in a divorce and custody matter that has been going on for more than four years. After lengthy trials, there were no trials. They were lying about that. And reviewing all the facts, including some video, none of the four tri- judges who presided over the trials or the two court-appointed neutral forensic evaluators found him to have committed wrongdoing or abuse as to his children or the contended domestic violence and instead awarded him sole legal and physical custody of the the three children. Nevertheless, the firm will be conducting its own investigation to determine the status with his firm. In the meantime, he's taking a voluntary leave of absence. So so, so he's getting some scrutiny. Uh, He has finally getting some more scrutiny. But look, that only happened because people were going just ballistic on the firm itself. Hmm. So they felt like they had to act that look, they're obfuscating. Number one, there were no trial. There were hearings, which mm-hmm. does present evidence, but there's no final verdict. And uh, 
you know, they said neutral evaluators like this guy, Abram. Sure, neutral yeah, right. Right, in yeah. the sense that you're using the term <clears throat> neutral. And look, you know, if you think that everything's on the up and up, why do you need to do your own investigation? Right. Uh, so Michael, Michael, when you when you see these things and, you, you know, like I said, Michael Volpe is our guest. He's a, he has an investigative reporter uh, writes on these subjects, including writes on his uh, own Substack, which is really um, uh, informative. Uh, Michael Volpe dot Substack dot com. Uh, but when you get to this uh, and you see these, what's the solution? I mean, is the solution less of these family courts? Okay, but how do you adjudicate some of these complicated decisions? I mean, you know, the late Phyllis Schlafly, my boss, you go back in time, and she was saying no-fault divorce is actually going to make uh, things worse because you're going to have divorce, uh, you know, right away because you're unhappy with each other, and then you got all these problems. I mean, what do you see places and paths that, that, that take some of this corruption out of the system and make it work, or is it just, I mean, are we just stuck with this? No, well, you're definitely not stuck with it, but there, there's a lot of different solutions. I, you know, we've we've talked about a, a few, a lot of them that I've come up with. There's a variety. I, as as I've said many times, there's three different things that you want to accomplish, and if you're accomplishing at least one of the three, you are helping to reform the system. First right. one is judges have too much power. You got to reduce their power. Number two, there's too much money in the system, so you got to uh-huh. reduce the amount of money. Number three, it's complicated. The simpler you make it, the better. So getting rid of, of all of these court professionals, these custody evaluators, guardian ad litem, right. uh, that, in my opinion, would be a great step. Uh, you Not having a guy like Mark Abrams as a tool would help this. It absolutely would. Right. Uh, and so you just make them illegal. In fact, in Colorado, they just passed a law that outlaws just custody evaluators. I would outlaw all court professional, all of these appointments. But uh, that's one solution. Hmm. Uh, there's a lot of money that flows in the system. There's a lot of federal funds that help this. Um, I don't know if Alan Kasanoff used any of those. So I don't know if that would help. These ex parte orders, there's a lot that probably could be done to reform them as well. Uh, and he he used protective orders, Kasnoff did. That's relatively common. I you know, I had an ex who who tried to get a protective order against me. Uh that's extremely common. It's used as leverage. Uh, I I hmm. in the way he did it is textbook, and it's so common and effective that it's derisively called the silver bullet technique because mm. it is a silver bullet. I see. You can get it the way he did it. It's perfect. You get a, a, a protective order to remove her from her house. Then you go for a second one to get custody. Now you've got possession of the kids and the house. Yes, it's temporary, but possession is nine tenths of the law. So you're probably going to wind up possessing all of those things in mm. the end. Yeah. And that's basically the idea. I and see. there you go. Oh, All right. And- I got to Michael, I got to leave it there. Michael Volpe uh, over at uh, his Substack uh, valuable. I appreciate it as always. It's a fascinating fascinating uh, uh set of topics, but also um on this one uh, heartbreaking about this woman. So thank you Michael Volpe. I got to run. Uh it's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. 
Throughout the 1980s and 1990s, the abortion industry pushed the FDA to approve the import and sale of the abortion pill named RU486 by its French manufacturer. The slang term, 86, means to eject or throw something or someone away. So the pill's trade name truthfully conveyed its demonic effect of throwing away a human life. In the waning months of Bill Clinton's presidency, the FDA responded to pro-abortion pressure by rushing its approval of this abortion drug, but only by falsely treating pregnancy as an illness instead of a natural and healthy part of a woman's life. Studies confirm that carrying a pregnancy to term, especially before age 30, is beneficial to a woman's long-term health. The FDA's improper approval was challenged by opponents many years ago. The case finally got to court, and a federal judge ruled in Texas just a few weeks ago that the FDA must suspend the use of the drug. The court's decision cited studies showing how physically and mentally harmful the abortion pill can be to pregnant women and girls. The pill was approved by the FDA for the benefit of the abortion industry, not to help women. Judge Matthew Kaczmarek ruled, Compelling evidence suggests the statistics provided by FDA on the adverse effects of chemical abortion understate the negative impact the chemical abortion regimen has on women and girls. The judge added, the abortionist that prescribed the drugs is usually not the provider to manage the mother's complications. Just a few weeks later, the Supreme Court missed the mark by overturning Judge Kaczmarek's wise decision. With Justices Alito and Thomas as the two dissenting voices, the high court allowed a dangerous drug to remain on the street, which only benefits the companies that deal them, not the desperate women and girls who take them. RU486, or Mifeprestone, as it is commonly called, is not just the enemy of the pro-life movement, but the enemy of everyone who believes that drugs should be earnestly and thoroughly vetted before being approved for American consumers. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please, join us in the battle for life at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, finishing up today, just a couple minutes left. Let me tell you something, preview for you. Um, well, a, a post view and a preview. A couple weeks ago, I was in um, a briefing on the a Biden uh, laptop. You may remember I talked about that. Uh, Marco Polo, the outfit out of... Um, Illinois, I think, nonprofit that was doing the Biden laptop analysis had created a website and they were um, uh, they were uh, providing that a briefing to some of us that were in attendance at uh, a meeting here in the in the D.C. area and Biden laptop media dot com Biden laptop media dot com. Anyway, um, the breaking news in the last 24 hours 
is that same group has uploaded almost 10,000 photos, photos of uh, all sorts of stuff from the Biden laptop that is being covered now by the media. In other words, by by putting all that up on the website, the Biden laptop uh, media dot com, they've gotten people to come. Garrett Ziegler and his folks have gotten uh, the media to come and look at it. So it's getting some traction. So we'll see what happens. But the big news is tomorrow uh, on uh, on the show, I will talk with Garrett Ziegler. I've got him lined up. We're going to talk with him about exactly uh, what is going on with the Biden laptop, what it means, uh, what's happening. And more importantly, in some ways, how they've been able to uh, work away at this issue, excuse me, for um, a period of months to try to get coverage to try to get people to pay attention to it. Uh, so it's really that, that part of it has been a real success story, uh, because they just kind of slogged along and, and made sure that they were doing things. And a lot of times I remember asking Garrett, he's like, yeah, the media is not covering it. We'll see. We're just going to keep going. We'll see. We'll see. And he just kept slogging along. And eventually, uh, now they've gotten a break. Fox news has a piece. Uh, I'll put it up on, uh, our social media. You can see it coverage of it. And, um, you know, maybe it's because it's finally breaking through with the uh, Comer investigation. That probably is a big factor. Uh, but be that as it may, it's uh, getting some coverage. So tomorrow uh, we will have Garrett Ziegler and we'll talk with him about the um, his effort and the Biden laptop media dot com Biden laptop media dot com. All right. We will uh, be uh, back with you tomorrow. And I'm Ed Martin. Thank you, as always, to um, our great producer, uh, Noah Dingley and our associate producer Ryan Height, both of whom make it possible to try to write down this uh, website so I can put it up there for you. And uh, thank you to those guys for keeping things uh, going. And we will be back tomorrow. Ed Martin, Pro America Report. Talk to you then. This is the Pro America Report on The Answer San Diego. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.